Hi everyone, I'm Ashley Pyle and you're listening to episode 4 of season 3 of Humans of James River. And this episode is a special episode because instead of having a one-on-one conversation with another student at James River High School, instead I recorded a guest speaker who came in to talk to Mr. Doyle's perspectives class. Her name is Katie Lowry and she is an alumni of the Leadership and International Relations program at James River High School and she's going to give some advice from someone who is at a different point in her life and I hope you all are able to take something from it and that you all enjoy. Good morning. Um, Today we're going to hear from Katie Lowry, class of 2010. Um, She has uh, a lot of life experience and a lot of expertise that I think will be really valuable to you whether that's right now or whether that's down the road. All right, so with that, I'm going to turn this over to Ms. Lowry. Uh, oh, I forgot the other story, which is um, one of my favorite memories of her from our past, the day that I called home to uh, share good news with her parents and her dad got on the phone and played guitar to me. And first and only time that's ever happened in my life. Thanks. Hello, Katie. Hello. Thank you so much for having me. You're going to hear the babies in the background for a little bit that my sister's about to be in. Um, I will say, so one of the reasons when my dad played guitar for Mr. Doyle is because they have a lot in common as just human beings. But my dad at the time was a history teacher and they could share resources and my dad was trying to learn guitar and was a big fan of Mr. Doyle's band at the time, which was Solar Coasters. Now I think you're Flat Elvis, aren't you? Okay, different. That's good. I mean, you're moving on to different and um, new things, but we, um, but my dad was was really thrilled that he was like practicing this particular riff and he had mastered it. And then Mr. Doyle called and he's like, "Oh my gosh, hold on." So. That's the friendship that they got to develop. Um, My name's Katie Lowry. As Mr. Doyle said, in high school, I was Katie Hillgrove, um, class of 2010. And um, I'm going to introduce my topic. Working title for it is when you're like thinking about your life, make a plan, but make it flexible. Um, And there's a lot of context for that. So, some disclaimers. I am going to be talking about um, my my life from like teens until present. Um, I, it is going to include stories from my faith life, my faith testimony, which can be jarring for some people to hear. I know um, it's not always comfortable. Um, I'm just sharing it authentically as something that has been integrated into my life. I can't tell my story without sharing these parts. And then also stories of my mental health, especially seeking treatment for mental health. And then also um, entering the mental health field. So the story, It's a Wonderful Life, is a story of a man named George Bailey. And um, it's told... The, like, the whole course of his life is shared in this movie up until a point where he is on the brink of suicide because of a financial situation that he's in. And his, um, he's always been a dreamer. He's always wanted to go, like even as a kid, it's that, this is important too, it, it takes place in 1946, so just at the end of the war, um, the World War II. And 
he he growing up was always a dreamer um and he always loved people well like he looked outside of himself and sacrificed himself um often for the good of others when need be so like he saves his little brother from drowning when he's nine and gets an ear infection that later like he loses hearing in that ear and he can't um serve in the military when the draft comes there's lots of different stories of this throughout his life but he has these plans he wants to be an engineer an architect he wants to build things he wants to travel around europe and he actually makes the plans he tries to make them make them happen and life happens to him so like on the eve of his big trip to europe his his dad dies and he um has to take over the family business so he never ends up leaving his small town but he is rich in love and that's that's kind of the story so he, he gets to this point where they're they're celebrating his younger brother who's this big war hero and his uncle um loses eight thousand dollars that he's supposed to deposit for their business to the bank there's about one hundred and fifty thousand dollars modern day currency and they can't find it anywhere and he's about to be arrested and he has a life insurance policy for twice that much and he thinks i'm worth more dead than alive and an angel comes down and shows him the impact that his life has had on everyone around him what the world would be like if he wasn't a part of it and when i was a teenager i thought that was like the most <laughs> depressing story ever because he all he wanted to do was go out and see the world and travel and build things and make a name for himself and have these new experiences. And he tried and he just couldn't get away. And I'm like, gosh, that sounds awful. Um, but <laughs> as I grew up, because we watch this movie every year, my family, it's a tradition. I started to see that his life was really an expression of true love. Yes, he made enormous sacrifices, enormous sacrifices. But what is life but a school of love? And something I figured out when I was 17 is that I want to be um, I want to be someone that loves others well. I want to accompany others. I want to uh, lose my fear of being uncomfortable when others are going through something so hard that it just it's jarring to me. Um, I want to be there for them. I want to be able to put my own discomfort aside, be there for them, be present to them. And I want to spend my time learning to love the people around me better, receive their love, rather than just pursue my goals without regard for them. And that's something I say, I've always had goals. I've always been a really driven person. I still am. Um, and I'll get to some of that, but like part foreshadowing. Like I had two babies in grad school and I still finished my degree. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do if you don't have goals and you don't have support. So I'd say that's actually impossible to do. So my story, I grew up around here, close family. I went to James River um, in the Leadership Center. I had really, really supportive parents. And they always instilled in us a deep sense of self-efficacy. Self-efficacy is what you believe you can do. So believe that sense that I can do what I set out to do. In high school and in middle school, early on, at the beginning and end of high school, we had to do these assignments where you'd write a letter to your future self and you'd like write your goals and everything. I never really knew what I wanted to be when I grew up. 
um, I knew I wanted to go to college. I knew that I wanted to help people, but I didn't know really what I wanted to be. So I just like write that I wanted to be happy. That was like my goal. And happiness can mean a lot of different things. But looking back, I can see the thing I was craving was like joy, peace, and fulfillment. Uh, when I was 17, I remember sitting at a red light one day at the start of my senior year and kind of just reflecting on my life. It was like idle time. I don't know if music was playing or not, but I was my I was just thinking about life. And I realized that I had never really had anything go wrong in my life, but I always found a reason to complain. Um, like negativity was, was a big part of my outlook. Um, and like, um, I had a hard time appreciating the things in front of me. And then I also realized that I had never really experienced loss. And it's, it's funny that I remember that so clearly because it wasn't like a long red light. <laughs> there was nothing really big going on. It was just one of those crystallizing moments that I never forgot. And it was followed in close succession by things going wrong and experiencing loss. Um, so that, that fall, my sister, Christine, um, the youngest of three girls were all very close. That was my sister, Elizabeth, who just came by. Um, her son is Anthony. My sister, Christine moved to Italy and, um, she was pursuing her dreams. She's probably the biggest dreamer out of the bunch of us. And she just wanted to immerse herself in Italian culture. And so she took a year off of school and she got a job as an au pair and she wanted to learn the language and take some classes. Like she just felt like that's what she needed to do. So she moved to Italy. Um, and then my grandfather started having some health issues. She decided to come back. And the night before she came back, she was in a really horrific car accident that left her in rehab for years and years and years. But she like, she couldn't walk at first. Um, she wasn't paralyzed, but she, she had such a horrific injury that she couldn't walk without excruciating pain. And then my grandfather, he, you know, he had this heart issue. He had surgery for it, but following the surgery, he had a stroke and, and it was a really debilitating stroke. And about two days after that, my grandmother, um, who's was like my best friend, we, we, I'm named for her peas and carrots just to the end. We were ride or die and her and her apartment building burnt down and she lost everything she'd ever owned except for one small box of things. Um, but all of her pictures, all of her letters, all of her mementos from her marriage, like my my grandfather had died years prior and she lost everything of his too. And all of that happened in between Thanksgiving and the SATs. And I was so overwhelmed by what was going on. Um, Cause during that time too, there's like exams and, and things like that y'all know. I was so overwhelmed by what was going on that I tried to shut all of the personal stuff out and just focus on the academic stuff. And I um, ultimately, not even that ultimately, it took me like a week, but I really regretted that decision. So I, I had AP chemistry uh, exam and I had, I, the concepts weren't clicking. So like I joined a study group and I got an extra tutor and I read all of the things and I did all the practice stuff. And I just like, I shut everybody out so I could focus on this because I thought, what if I want to go to med school? I need to be really good at AP chemistry. Right. Um, so I went to the teacher who had graded about half of it and, and she not knowing what was going on in my life that week, that time looked at it. She's like, Oh, you missed quite a few. And it rocked me because 
yeah, I was disappointed that I had worked so hard and hadn't gotten the result that I wanted. But I also realized that I prioritized trying to do well on a test that would have no significant meaning for my life over three of the people that I love more than anybody else in the world in their time of need. And that sobering realization came and my counselor at the time, Miss O'Brien, like saw my face. She just saw me in the hallway. She, she shepherded me to her office where I, I broke down, which was not something that I did very often. It took me a long time to figure out that I'm a human person with human emotions that need to be expressed. And, um, and I realized, and I said to her that my relationships with friends, family, and loved ones will always be more important than my accomplishments. And I want to live my life that way. I wanted, I, they deserve my time and I want to give my time to them. And she said, write that down because you might forget it. But that sounds like we want you, what you want to be the cornerstone of your life. So my first life tip for you is don't waste your suffering. Everybody's been through something. Everybody's, um, most everybody at, by the end of high school at least has felt like they've, they've handled more than they feel like they can handle. And you don't have to find the silver lining right away. Um, you don't have to find the lesson right away. I actually think it's good if you kind of dwell in the, the grief or the loss for, for a minute because you have to let it affect you. But don't waste your suffering. There's something there for you to learn. There's something there that you can take away. Um, and you will, you can't avoid it. You can't avoid suffering. So, so why waste it? You know, why try to move on from it too quickly or why try to pretend like it doesn't matter? So I had wanted to, I felt really restless. I had wanted to get out and then all this family stuff happened. And I realized I'm like, I don't want to be 12 hours away from my family by car or, you know, two and a half hours by plane, going to college by myself, coming home on Thanksgiving and Christmas. I, I want to be close. And so I decided to go to um, UVA and I studied architecture at first, which was kind of an inkling that I had had uh, something that I wanted to pursue since I was in elementary school. I really liked designing things on the computer and, and I got in. So I went um, and that's when I really found my home in the church and um, the Catholic student ministry at UVA. I, I found my people. I also found out that I really loved architecture. I had a lot of fun studying it and um, learning drawing, which I had never really learned and made friends that I had never really had before. We, we still like during COVID, these are the women that I was talking to every month on, on Google Meet. Like, um, these are the people that we've decided to keep up with. And, and that's really valuable. I hadn't had friendships like that before. So um, my first year in college, I had those awesome friendships. I was super excited. And then the loss started to come again. So my, um, my right before Thanksgiving, my, my great aunt, Joan Marie, who's like the matriarch of our family, she died pretty suddenly, just a stroke following surgery. And then a month later, my, my grandfather died. So he had had that stroke. And one of the blessings of it was like he didn't have pain on one side of his body. He lost 
the feeling, but that he developed cancer in that side and, and he died pretty suddenly. And, um, that was right before Christmas and my grandmother's health started to decline and she died in April of that year. But in between that, we lost a lot of friends and like extended family. And so by, um, between November and July of my like first year in college, we had lost about 11 people. Um, 11 friends or family members and you cannot hide from that you can't ignore it you can't will it away and all I wanted to do was desperately move on I was so sick of picking up the phone and hearing that someone was in the hospital or somebody had died I was I was so sick of funeral etiquette I was like I was just hurting and I I didn't want to hurt anymore and so I was like I gotta get away from this and because of that I didn't really take time to grieve. I just busied myself up and for about a year and a half to try, to try to push things away and all the while convincing myself that I'm dealing with grief super well. <laughs> it, was, it was not the truth, but it was my own perception of it. So the first time, um, my identity is like this person with really high self-efficacy, this person that can do anything, no matter the circumstances, uh, started to sh get shaken. I'd always thought of myself as a woman who can get it done no matter what, but loss, grief, and trauma add up. It affects your mind and your body and your spirit. It actually changes the neural functioning of your brain. Your neural pathways change. Grief changes your brain. And you cannot wish it away. You cannot ignore it. You cannot will it away. Um, so some of the things that I tried to do to just to give you a paint you a picture um i started long distance running so i would run like 20 miles a week um but without really taking care of my body and the way it needs to take care of to to do that i joined a sorority which was good fun for a while i uh took on more leadership roles in the catholic student ministry i took on my friends problems as if i had the know-how to solve them all. I got a job. I kept my class load really heavy and intense. Um, I basically did everything I could to avoid silence and to avoid facing what had happened in my life and to avoid the pain of it all. So I mentioned my faith and um, there's a a man named St. Ignatius of Loyola, and he developed a practice called the spiritual exercises. And, and it's based on opening your eyes just a little bit to the movings of your heart and your life um, and paying attention to how you, you, you respond to it. And I started to open my eyes a little bit about architecture and realized that while I loved figuring out why I loved good design, um, I, I actually, I liked figuring out like what makes design good as opposed to design my own stuff. Um, and architecture is also a very intense program that is not for the faint of heart. So I, I switched to psychology and started making really ambitious goals. <laughs> like, oh, I'm going to do this and I'm going to work for two years and then I'm going to get my PhD. Um, I worked really, really hard in the middle of college. I mean, I've always been working hard, but I worked really, really, really hard and didn't have the results of my grades that I was used to having. Um, really mediocre grades. Went to office hours for neuroscience one time and I was like, Dr. Hill, I am doing literally everything I can. I'm at every review session. I'm reading the textbook. 
I'm, I'm taking notes. I'm, I haven't missed a lecture. I still can't get higher than a 75 on any of your tests. Like what is going on? And he recommended, um, we ended up talking about like my goals and he recommended me to a, a research lab, even though he didn't have a reason to, like I wasn't one of his best students. I had just kind of shared with him thinking about, well, I'm really interested in space design and I'd love to, to narrow down some design principles or spatial features that tend to help people recover from anxiety faster than baseline. So, um, quick uh, cognitive science lesson. When you, when you have anxiety, um, there's, you know, baseline is like how long it takes your body to come back from it in a regular environment. So if you started to feel really anxious in your classroom right now, your baseline would be the number of minutes it takes you to reduce your anxiety, lower your heart rate, your blood pressure, the like sweating, perspiration, breathing, everything. Um, from start to finish. Well, if you're in a completely natural setting, that's faster. But not everybody has the opportunity to go into a wood, into the woods where you can't hear traffic, you can't see people, you can't do whatever. So scientists have identified different elements that make a um, space more conducive to anxiety recovery. And I was like, well, what if we integrated that into like hospitals and therapeutic environments? That'd be so cool. So that was, um, that was like my dream. And, and Dr. Hill heard that and he recommended me for something that I really didn't deserve, but I ended up working in that lab for two years and it, it, I learned so much and got to participate in research for projects that are published now, which is really cool. So my life tip number two is that you are not your grades or accomplishments. They are something that you've done, but you are worth so much more than whatever you're measured by. That, that will never change. There's nothing you can do that can reduce your infinite value. And you're worthy of peace, healing, love, respect. Even if you have really bad grades or you've made really big mistakes or but like anything. Life tip three, if you learn how to articulate your interests and then you can ask trusted teachers, professors, mentors, adults in your life um, for ideas how to pursue them, you'll end up on a pretty interesting path than if you just try to figure it out on your own. And so that's my tip to you, please. Um, even if it's just an inkling, like you can ask someone. And I think you guys will have the opportunity to do that with your internship and capstone project and stuff as you go throughout high school. So think about that. I hit my lowest low in fall of my junior year. I had torn cartilage in my hip. I couldn't run anymore. So like my mental health was like obvious. I mean, it was suffering before, but I was more aware of it because I didn't have the endorphin high. Because I had limited mobility, I had to quit my job. I decided to quit my sorority because it wasn't life-giving. I couldn't afford the time commitment and I couldn't afford the money commitment either. And my grades were the worst they'd ever been. And I I had to I had to face everything. That spring, a lot of things changed. And the things that changed, I started digging into my faith more, investing more time in that. I sought spiritual direction from a priest that I trusted. I started therapy with a good therapist in Charlottesville, um, which between that and the spiritual, like they, those 
they helped me integrate it into my my being. So it wasn't just my mental health, it was my spiritual health and my physical health as well. I reduced my class load, which was really hard for me to do um, because again, that thought of like, well, I'm the girl that always does all the things, but I'm, I needed to not be. I needed to respect my human needs. Um, I focused on building friendships with the people who had been showing up. So that picture that I showed you, um, I decided to be, after my senior year in college was so much better, I decided to be a missionary with an organization that had come to my college called the Fellowship of Catholic University Students. Um, and that was really a school of love. So it was two years, you apply, and if you're accepted, you have to fundraise your whole salary. Um, you have to go where they send you. That first year, you don't get a choice. But I did go where I wanted to go, which was cool. And I'll share that in just a moment. Um, and then you you do mentorship, Bible studies, um, just like meeting people. Honestly, just meeting people where they are, hearing people's stories, hearing people's pain, sharing with them your faith, um, and then going on mission trips and things. So I was a missionary at Harvard for two years. I lived in Boston. And um, then I went on five mission trips during my two years. Went to the United Nations during the week of the Commission of Status of Women to advocate for like prenatal, postnatal care and disaster relief packages. Went to France to serve with the Missionaries of Charity. You guys heard of Mother Teresa of Calcutta, like Missionaries of Charity, the order she founded. And they serve the poorest of the poor all around the world. Um, we also went to pilgrimage sites and we worked with like a parish in Biarritz. I went to Mexico City where I learned how to run a mission trip on my own. And we worked in a home for abandoned women. I went to Ireland where again, we worked with a parish. Um, and then I finally went on the Camino de Santiago in Spain where um, I hiked 200 miles with um, 11 other people to um, arrive in Santiago on the Feast of St. James. So I got to go out, I'm, unlike unlike George Bailey, I did get to go out and like see the world, um, which was a huge, huge gift. So I continued to open my eyes a little bit during that time as a missionary. And in addition to the unbelievable boot camp of professional skills that I learned, including fundraising, preparing for meetings, which is something that never really clicked for me before. But if you're going to a class or a meeting and you don't know what's going to happen before you get there, you should probably do a little bit of work beforehand so that you're actually ready for <laughs> what happens. And high school will train you well for that. Um, I had always just kind of winged it. Um, but that doesn't always work as an adult when people are counting on you to do your part. I learned crucial conversations. So like when you have to have a hard conversation with your boss or with someone that you're managing, how to do expense reports, I learned human management and organization, i.e. how to travel internationally without losing anyone or getting deported. That's important. Those are good skills to have and many other things. But I also, part of our rule of life was a daily holy hour, which is a silent prayer, usually in front of um, the Blessed Sacrament, like in a chapel where the Eucharist is present. And um, I also lived in community where I had to deal with other people. I couldn't just avoid things or people that annoyed me or retreat to my own room because I didn't have my own room. Um, I couldn't presume that I was right all the time. I had to 
I mean, there were a lot of hard things that you had to learn and, and advocate for yourself for, but also receive from other people. And my feelings got hurt and I hurt other people's feelings. And then we had to love each other, forgive each other and, and move forward. It was really, really powerful. During this time, I suspended my need to pursue the most prestigious goal I could think of. I learned how to have a best friend and be one. Um, my best friend, Sarah, she is still my best friend to this day, although she lives too far away in Omaha, Nebraska. I learned self-forgetfulness, which is how to just be present without worrying about all of the noise, what I look like, what other people think of me. Am I being too loud? Am I being too quiet? Am I like, did I make whatever? It's, it, it, I could just be present. Um, a big part of that, I don't know if any of you are familiar with like the season of Lent, but there's usually make a sacrifice. One of the things that I had done, which I'd never done before in my life, I gave up wearing makeup for Lent. That was a, a big shaker for me. And that might not be relatable to anybody, but I've, I've always kind of like dressed myself up a little bit. And I felt like I didn't have my armor on. Like I felt like I, I it was so vulnerable to, to give up wearing makeup for Lent just to be myself. But I, I had to, it was, it was an important part of facing who I, I am. And I realized because I kept encountering people who needed accompaniment in a deep way, who needed more care, especially with mental health than I could give them, that I wanted to get more training and find a deeper way to help. I was still figuring out how to respect my needs as a human being. I think that's something I'm still learning the most because I have an all or nothing mindset. And I tend to think, well, if I'm not firing all cylinders and I'm not doing my job, I'm failing. And that's not true. You have to set up a daily routine or a rhythm so you have something left in the tank on a regular basis. So after my first year as a missionary, I committed to applying to graduate school and applied for a promotion. Um, I decided I'm going to study for the GRE or work on my applications for 45 to 90 minutes a day, except every day except for Sunday from July to November. And I, I stuck to that, which I was like super proud of myself for. Um, that's another life tip. Chunk out goals in reasonable pieces and chip away gradually. Speaking as someone who got through a lot of school by cramming at the last minute, that doesn't work the same way in adulthood that it does in school. Um, because usually what I've found is that you'll be responsible for the information after the test. If you rely on cramming, it's really hard to kind of catch up. During this time of applications, interviewing preparing for graduate school, I actually met my husband. I had met him a year prior through my sister and brother-in-law, and we were actually like in their wedding together. But a couple months later, we met up. Um, he like asked me out and, and we started dating. And it was really clear to both of us that something was totally different. I, it was clear to me that something was different about him and us. We wanted to build our life in the same way. We respected each other at a deep level, um, but we, allowed ourselves to build our relationship in the most healthy way that I ever had in a romantic relationship. That's another story in and of itself, but it didn't take us long to figure out that we wanted to commit the rest of our lives to each other. I knew I had wanted to get married and have kids when I was in high school, but it wasn't at the forefront of my mind like, oh man, I need to like get out and find him. 
I have always kind of put other goals first. And so I was really surprised more than anybody when I got married when I was 24 and started having kids right away. Um, I did not end up getting my PhD in psychology and it was not because I didn't have the opportunity. It just wasn't the right opportunity. So Patrick and I had talked about it. We were ready to go wherever I got in. I had a choice of a couple of different programs around the country, but none of them were the right fit. And so um, I decided to go back to the drawing board. I worked as a nanny and as a sub and tutor for uh, about a year. And through that, I kind of realized I think school counseling might be the right next step for me. Um, we, I, I applied and got into the school counseling program at UVA in Charlottesville. We decided to move there right after we got married. So I, I got in in February. We got married in April. And in May, we found out that we were expecting our firstborn son, James. So how did I do graduate school? Because I started my graduate program about three and a half months pregnant. I decided to do my first semester um, and then James was due at the end of January. So I took a full year off with James. And that was really hard. I will say it was really hard because I still had some of that restlessness of, oh, I got to be doing, you got to be doing, I got to be doing. And what I learned is I really needed to learn how to be. I, that year was crucial for me to learn how to be a mother, some stillness and presence that has really been vital to my counseling work. And it didn't keep me from pursuing excellence either, you know? Um, so that's my life tip number five. Self-reliance is a fool's errand. You cannot do it by yourself. We built a community in Charlottesville, but I, I wouldn't have been able to get my degree without Patrick and I being on the same page, without us deciding to build our marriage in a really intentional way where we prioritized each other's dreams and we worked for them collaboratively. We were both in it 100%. Um, not 50-50, also a myth, 100-100. Wouldn't have been able to do grad school with you know, baby, um, without our parents' support, without my siblings' support. We had a community, a village around us, and that's, that is that is how this happened. Another life tip, number six, I think, is that excellence and acceleration are not equivalent. In high school, there's like accelerated math and accelerated English and AP and all these different things, and those are beautiful. Like, those are great opportunities, but that's not the same thing as being excellent. I'm, I think I'm a better counselor because I took that year off than I would have been if I had just rushed through. And I am gonna not acknowledge like the privilege that allowed that to happen is I didn't have a federal loan for that first semester. So I didn't, I had been able to save some money. So I didn't have to get right back without having to pay back alone and so that's i'm not going to say it's a perfect system it's not a it wasn't a choice that would be available to everybody but accelerate excellence and acceleration are not equivalent um school counseling has been an amazing career path during this time i also decided i wanted to get my license in professional counseling to do deeper mental health work because school counselors do mental health work but not therapy I wanted to become, get the training to become a therapist. So I took extra classes during graduate school in order to do that. Um, then I also found out we were very, 
blessed to find out we were expecting our second baby. Um, and he was due right before I graduated. So we had Sammy February of 2020. And if you guys have been paying attention to the news for the last two years, you'll think, realize, huh, that's right around the time COVID hit. You're right. So I had this perfect plan. <laughs> This perfect plan of, oh my gosh, I know exactly how it's going to go. You know, I'm going to finish as much work as I can before I have, give birth. And then I'm going to have the most present four weeks at home with my new little baby, Sammy. And then I'm going to go back and finish my degree. Patrick's going to take his paternity leave at the tail end so that Sammy won't have to go into daycare when he's, you know, six weeks old. And then we're going to move back to Richmond because we decided we wanted to raise our family with our families. And... Um, I'll have one-on-one -on -one time with Sammy while James is at school and he'll have the consistency of being at school. And then we're going to have this fabulous summer together where I figured out how to do COVID hit. How many people had to change their plans because COVID hit? I mean, I had this vision of graduating with my baby in my arms and we didn't even get to have a graduation ceremony. And that was heartbreaking. Like there was, there were some more things to deal with. I got a job in Chesterfield County working as a school counselor at Hopkins Elementary. One of the most challenging entrances into a mental health career that I probably could have anticipated. And I pushed it. I was like, I'm all in, I'm all in, I'm all in. And I lost some of that presence to my kids. And my work was recognized. I actually, I was like, I won a couple of different awards for the work that I did last year. and. And then I had a miscarriage in April of this year and in that grief again that I started taking stock of how have I been making my decisions? How have I been distributing my time? Am I actually honoring this thing that I learned when I was 17 that I want the relationships with the people in my life to be bigger, more important, something I dedicate more time to than my accomplishments? And... Um, and it was a tough decision. I decided to drop down my hours so to work part-time this year. And that was a really big gift. Talk about people advocating for you. My my principal, she made it happen. And that doesn't always happen. So I'm a part-time school counselor right now. I am working on my license as a professional therapist. That will take about three more years. So um, slow and steady, but win and race. And I'm also preparing to have another baby um, due in like two or three weeks, something like that. Um, so I, I work part-time, but it's a full-time love. And I, I finally feel like 80% of the time I'm putting my time, my efforts, my love in places where it needs to be the most. I could not have predicted were planned for the way that my life and career and family was built. And I think it's more beautiful because of it. I always had goals. I was always working for goals, but I didn't, I didn't make things working out exactly the way I planned the measure of my success. The things that I hoped for when I wrote all those letters as a, you know, eighth grader, ninth grader, 12th grader, joy, peace, fulfillment. I found those, I've received those along the way because I, I've left room for life to happen and it's still happening. Like I don't have it all figured out. I, I mean, I shared with you like this year, I, I had to I had to learn some really hard things very quickly 
really do feel like I'm living a life of joy and love. So I would just like to thank Mrs. Lowry um, for being willing to let me use her voice and her amazing story on Humans of James River. And I also wanted to include at the end of this a little snippet of something Mr. Doyle talked about. Stay tuned for the next episode. Thanks for listening. Your path is going to change. You're going to set goals. You're going to make plans. And her message of make plans, but be flexible, be prepared for things that are going to come along. Some good, some bad, but they're they're going to cause you to move in different directions. The biggest part of her talk, however, is making room for life. And that's something it took me probably 50 years to figure out. So don't be like me. Um, figure that out. Work on it. It takes work. You hear her talking about how much work it takes to figure that stuff out. And I'm on a thing with my job where I make very clear boundaries. I leave here when I'm supposed to leave here. And I go home and I do stuff that makes, that fills me up, that makes me, me. Um, and you've just got to do that. College, one of the trappings of college is that you'll find yourself, if you don't pay attention to it, you'll find yourself staying up all night. And, um, and you should be heavily involved and engaged in what you're doing, but don't forget yourself.